I've got a guest this week that I don't know very well. I just know your work and I love it. And I think it's great. Uh, Drew Photo uh, on the internet or Drew Schnell is here. Hey, Drew. Hey, how's it going? Great. And um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to meet you. I really like what you do. And I know that you do some of it in very different ways than I do. So I'd love, I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's nice to meet you as well. Over this, this way is beautiful. And I got to say, you got, a great, you got a great voice for podcasting. So I hope you do more podcasts <laughs> in the future. I've been told that before, but thank you. I know I need to, I need to do something like this. This would be a lot of fun. So your, your thing, I mean, what people are seeing you for on the internet a lot of the time is your beautiful Instagram, which is, uh, you know, super vibrant beauty slash fashion slash portraiture photos. I don't want to box you in, but you <laughs> no, know, for sure. there's like, there's a vibe to it. Like as soon if you look at your grid, you're like, oh, I get it. Like right away. You're like, oh, I, I, I get your, the feeling of, of your photography. And then I probably came across you because you're, and I'd love to hear like what this actually is and what you're doing, but you're doing photography for Sun Squared Media. And yeah. if everybody listening has no idea what Sun Squared Media is, uh, you do probably know who Jonathan Morrison is, uh, TLD Today, which is the, the YouTube channel that is kind of the, the biggest one that Sun Squared works with. So I saw you doing stuff with him and loved your work. So Thank you. Yeah, no, Jonathan's awesome. Sun Squared's amazing. Uh, working there is just, it's a blessing, to be honest with you. It's really great. So like, generally, what are you shooting for them? Like, what, what are their photo needs? Uh, pretty much, I am just the guy for their photo needs, whatever that may be. Uh, right now, it's more of, you know, product photography, behind the scenes, uh, just getting beautiful photos of Jonathan and Kevin and all of the above, but really anything that they're like, you know what? I would like a photo of this. I am the guy for that. No, that's great. I mean, I would, I would love to have a guy like that. That's a invaluable resource, and I mean, it makes for their uh, their social media to look really great too. Um, but obviously, that's that's not all you shoot. You also shoot things that um, I guess are these. Is the stuff on your Instagram? By the way, everybody, go look at his Instagram while you're while you're <laughs> listening. Pull over in the car, flip open uh, at at Drew Photo D R U E. And, um, is this creatives for you or is some of this work or? Yeah. Uh, most of it is creative, uh, honestly. Um, some of it is paid work, but really not a lot of my work is, uh, especially since I, you know, have the steady job with Sun Squared now, uh, I'm, I'm busy doing that during the week. So I kind of go off on the weekends and try and fill, you know, my side of the creative stuff. Uh, by doing shoots and working with people and just trying to make connections and that sort of thing. Did you move recently as well? I mean, uh, you yes. mentioned you were from Kansas. Now you're in California. Yes. Um, actually, the you know Sun Squared was nice enough to offer me a job, and that is the reason I am out here. Cool. Um, I moved out here uh, the middle of January, so still very fresh out here in California. Um, loving the weather, though. Oh. Way better than the snow back home that everybody's getting. Oh yeah, no, uh, but yeah, I, I love California too. It's it's, it's oh, especially it's, it's, nice to work, like to get production done when it comes to shooting and like being able to be outside. Yes, um, I used to not mind being in a cold climate. Like you know, Canada is beautiful in the summer, and we have moments of beauty in the winter. But the more outdoor shooting that we we do in our jobs, um, the more I really appreciate it being easy to go outside and things actually look good. <laughs> yes, that is one thing that I'm actually um, super excited for out here because I haven't done as many sh uh, shoots as I would like to, but the weather is always nice and I feel like I can always make something happen out of it out here. That's for sure. Well, I mean, that's a big step for you. I'd love to hear a few things about how you shoot, like gear wise. Gear doesn't matter, but of course it matters and it's fun. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, no, um, I... 
uh, my personal, I shoot with a Canon 6D with a, I have a 35 millimeter prime lens that I am using currently. Um, sometimes I will whip out the 24 millimeter prime Ooh. and every so often a 50 if I'm getting bored. Um, but that's pretty much, I, I pretty much only use prime lenses. I have a 24 to 70 for paid work, just, you know, like a one lens thing that I can have uh, to make sure I can get all sorts of uh, varieties of shots for clients and that sort of thing. But I pretty much stick with my prime lenses and my lower end full frame camera on the Canon side. That's cool doing the uh, wide angle for kind of basically portrait work. I mean, this is like close crop portraiture, and that is a very wide selection of lenses to, to do that kind of work. Yes, it is. Um, the 24 was a diff, uh, it was a it was a fun lens to shoot with portrait wise. Um, it's definitely really weird. You have to be very careful with it or else you'll get crazy distortion on the face and you definitely don't want that. But oh, it's definitely sure. a fun lens to capture everything around them. Yeah, I occasionally pull out the 2414 for YouTube videos and I always get a lot of comments when I do because it just looks crazy. Oh, I would love to use it for YouTube videos. I, that's what I should do. It's that's especially good do. for that because like you can when you bring it really close up, like if it's just, you know, a foot or two away from your face, then all of a sudden there's this there's I think people don't know what they're looking at at first because it's mm-hmm. like it's blurry. So I'm used to that being a 50 or something. Yes, but yes. yeah, but there's just something different to it, and it's so close, and you can feel that like proximity. And if your hands move, it's you you, you feel them coming close to the camera. It's really great. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about shooting with the 24 is just like almost like being close to the model, which is kind of weird. But it's just like it's definitely weird for them because they're not used to somebody being that up close. But I feel like it's just something different, and uh, I don't know. It's just well, it's a I fun bet, lens. I bet though once they see it as well, they're like, oh, it's not as close as I thought. Because you would <laughs> yes. think with 24, like you, you're probably like a foot away from them. And yeah, it very, feels very like close. their head's going to be enormous. And then they see it and they're like, oh, okay, no, that's more of a, that's a more normal photo than I thought. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Where, where did you kind of get that inspiration or that idea initially? Oh, man. Um, well, I when I first started, you know, I obviously got the uh, 50 mil um as we all when do. I first started por- yeah, when I first started portraiture. Uh, and I honestly, like, I shot with it so much that I think I got bored of it and uh, eventually upgraded to a 35 millimeter lens. And I think I did the same thing with a 35. And so I ended up going 24. Uh, I don't know why. I think I just enjoyed the wider look that it gave. It kind of gave that, like, lifestyle look to things. And I, for whatever reason, just really enjoyed that with people's photos, like all the travel landscape photos that I saw, I felt like a lot of them were either achieved with like that 24 mil look or like a 16 to 35. Right. And so I got that kind of wanting to do more of that kind of portrait stuff, mm-hmm. but I ended up using it in a different way. Um, and I think it made my work stand out quite yeah. a bit. No, I think um, so too. I think it's great. I'd also, so, I'd also say like you're a great example of a question that comes in all the time of uh, people will ask about some specific camera. Usually it's a model I don't really know anything about. They'll say, you know, <laughs> is is the Nikon D59000 uh, a good enough camera to to take, you know, good, nice photos? Like, is it a good camera? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know what? Almost every camera has a good camera at this point because yeah. you're using the 61, right? That's the, the yes. older one? Yeah, it's the older one. <laughs> like, it's... That is an awesome camera. It's it's, it's amazing. It's pretty affordable these days, oh, especially the, the first one. Now. Yeah. yeah, and like 
I mean, everybody, yeah, again, go look at his photos, but like nobody's going to look at your photography and be like, oh, you know, it would really be better with a better camera. Like that's the one yeah. thing holding you back is your camera selection. Like it obviously isn't. So Yeah. No, that's something that I think um, shocked Jonathan too when they first flew me out was that he was shocked that I did all my work on a Canon 6D, you know, like the the lower end or entry level full frame camera on the Canon side. Um, and I, I would love to upgrade my body right now, but I'm honestly struggling with finding a body that would really benefit me at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably shoot out with that Canon 6D until it, you know, stops working on yeah, me. Yeah, that'd be it'd kind of a weird time right now to make that, that call because we're right on the turn of mirrorless like things are just we're just going over that edge yep and it's not clear to me like i don't know if i would jump in yet um i've had the 5d mark four since day one like since it came out yeah and that's an easy choice like i've had it this whole time it works great for me i like it's easy to decide to stick with it um if i was just gonna jump into it right now i don't i don't really know like it's it's not obvious what you should buy at this point yeah, no, I, I, you know, the mirrorless is so interesting to me. It's just right now I don't think that Canon's ready. Yeah, I mean, the the rumors are strong that there will be a pro version. Some, something oh, more legit be. is coming soon. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited for something a little bit better than that. Um, something that will be a huge leap from what I currently have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm ready for that. I, I'm super excited, though, for the lenses that they came out with. I think that was super, super cool. So I'm I'm excited to see what they come out with. Oh, yeah. No, me too. I'm like re- refreshing Mac, uh, Canon rumors every day. <laughs> yes. Also Mac rumors every day. I mean, I'm watching yeah. all the rumor sites for everything yeah. every day. But, uh. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> so, I mean, let's start with shooting a bit and it would you know by the by the looks of it you're often using natural light um, yes usually you're kind of working with what you have mm-hmm. maybe talk a bit about how you approach that like what when you're just kind of walking into a space how do you tell okay this is something i can work with here i feel like this is actually something that i think is kind of funny because a lot of people i feel like think that i am like super organized with my shoots or at least like put a lot of thought into them Um, and it's actually the complete opposite. (laughs) I'm a very go with the flow, uh, kind of person, especially with my shoots. Uh, so, you know, we have like a general idea and some concepts going in, but nothing set in stone. And I feel like that actually helps me be a little more creative with my shoots and things like that. Cause my big thing is just trying to fill your frame and it's, I mean, anything can be used as a background. Um, you got to look at things in all different angles, right? Not just like face-to-face if you're having a conversation with somebody. Like, I mean, you could be shooting a super low angle up high. Maybe there's something cool in the, the sky or the ceiling. Um, or you could have the model laying down. Maybe like my most recent post, I had my model laying on this red couch and I didn't love the background that it was in. And so... I just got up close enough to make the couch the entire background. Yeah, and just and, glancing at it, like that photo specifically, you can't tell what you don't know what's happening. <laughs> like exactly, you don't know if she's yeah. standing up or or what. And I mean, also helpfully, you usually post a behind the scenes photo, which is pretty cool. Yes, when, when been, you start, I mean, that's not a super common thing on Instagram. When you start that, no, yeah, um, it has been doing very well for me uh, on social media. Uh, is the behind the scene photos. Um, 
I guess I'm more well known on the Twitter side of things. And I have had multiple posts do very well with, you know, the first photo being a behind the scenes photo and then with the finished product. And I just recently started doing that to Instagram. I don't know why it took me so long um, because I had friends like, you need to do that. Just do what you're posting on Twitter and post it on Instagram and it'll do well. Um, But I I love doing that just because it it shows off more of like what's actually happening. Kind of like what you just said with the photo. Like you, just by looking at that photo, you would have no idea where it was, how it was shot, anything like that. And just a simple behind the scenes photo uh, gives you a way better idea of how it was actually captured. Oh, for sure. I mean, I follow all these um, like purely behind the scenes Instagram accounts that just like the photography isn't anything. It's just show me how this was made. And I love looking at that stuff. Like it's incredibly helpful. Um, and I've been doing it more and more with um, like full Hollywood cinema setups. So, um, you know, even just following random like gaffers or grips or um, lighting companies. And it's like uh, a really helpful one the other day is I followed Light Gear recently, which is uh-huh. L I T E, um, that make light mats, which are uh, like one of the new best lights. There's a lot okay. of there's a lot of really cool lights lately. Light mats though are um, completely flat. They're maybe in, so I don't have any. I, don't, I haven't used them in person. I'm just looking at them on the internet. It's about an inch thick, um, very lightweight um, LED panels that are they're they're hard right so it it would feel like a a panel but they're super thin super lightweight so you can literally just gaff tape them to the ceiling wow um, or to walls or whatever like they're so lightweight that you can just attach them anywhere and then also um some of them you can connect side by side so Mm. if you saw the recent did you happen to see the recent apple keynote where they announced uh apple tv plus yes and they interviewed all the directors, right? So they're talking to Steven Spielberg and J.J. Yep. Abrams and all these other people. Yeah. So I was looking at those shots and I'm like, this is, this is really beautiful. It's very yeah. simple. Um, it looks like they're sitting in front of a, like a garage door or like a hangar. Yeah. And yeah. I was trying to evaluate. I'm like, what, what's that catch light in their eyes? How did they light this? And by the way, anytime you want to figure out lighting, you know, look for the catch lights. But yeah, okay, so following the light gear Instagram page, they talked about it. Like as soon as the trailer went out, they're like, "Congratulations to Gaffer and Grip so and so for working on this project." And That's they, amazing. They used the those panels. So basically, they just created grids of those LED panels that were you know like twelve by twelve feet, and then put a twelve by twelve uh, um, diffusion in front of it. And, wow! And all of a sudden, you've got this perfect, massive source of light that just looks really incredible that's um, insane yeah but I, I mean that's why i just i find it so helpful to follow um like random gear or oh yeah scene stuff like i learned no we've been doing that at work like literally last week we <laughs> everybody was looking up lighting tutorials we've been following a bunch of people that show the behind the scenes process as well uh you know because we're just trying to be the best we can at work as well so yeah, no, I'm going to have to definitely look more into that because that sounds super awesome. And yeah, no, we all geeked out over the lighting on that Apple keynote. Oh, it man. was it, incredible. It's the best. Like, I, yeah, if you if you take a look at the, the, the light mats are like, they're they're not that expensive. They're not that cheap, kind of depending on yeah. what range you're talking about. It's like 2000 bucks for a four foot by two foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, very powerful, though. Like, it's not, it's not a toy. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, right. I was going to say, though, looking for tutorials and, like, looking for inspiration for lighting and stuff, it's funny because, like, there's a lot of sources at a amateur to, like, low-level pro. Um, yeah. th- that's where most of the tutorials are coming from is people that, uh, you know, a lot of their work is creating tutorials, possibly, or they are, you know, hobbyists looking to kind of, like, build a career. Um, but then people that start working at a really high level, they're just too busy working to tell you how they're doing it. Like, they're not making tutorials. So you're all, uh, w- from that amazing, really high-quality work, I'm just, like, scraping together these little iPhone photos from set trying to be like, how did they do that? Like, I, I just want to know. And yeah, you, they probably don't really mind telling you either. Like, they will just kind of post about it or tweet about it or whatever. But to them, it's just, like, part of a day's work. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not going to you know, create a YouTube video about it. Yeah. But it, it's so hard to find that like really, really high quality stuff. We ran into that issue as well when we were looking up the uh, tutorials, like lighting tutorials and everything. Not that the tutorials were bad by any means. It's no, just, no, yeah. we, you know, with the, <laughs> we always found that the lighting like on the person explaining the tutorial just wasn't as <laughs> right, great yeah. as like, and you're like, okay, it next. should be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I totally understand that. And that's kind of like what we came up with too. We're like, I feel like the people that are really nailing this are just, you know, too busy doing their own thing to really care well, about posting tutorials on the internet. For sure, the best source, if you guys aren't watching it. So, I mean, pass this around. And this, I recommended this in the last episode, so listeners have already heard it. But I've been uh, really just devouring the Wandering DP podcast lately. Ooh, um, okay. D, like DP is in director of photography. Um, Australian director of photography that works in high-level commercial stuff. Like, you know, basic commercials. Like, this is just the, the stuff that you see on TV that is – really really good and he just he's just breaking down every commercial that he does and interviewing other big tps and you just never hear those really candid conversations about like here's how a set is run when the budget was over a hundred thousand dollars you know like yeah here's here's what we do when the decisions aren't limited by how much gear you own it's like no just like what's the right way to light this and we're going to use a lighting truck yeah um and even if i can't achieve that Knowing what's being done in the work that I admire most is yeah. so powerful. Like it's, it, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, then it gives you like, and then your mind can then go race and figure out like, how can I make something like this happen with the equipment that I may or may not have? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I mean, a lot of it is also just like modifiers as well, which I can see you use quite a lot in, in your work as well. A lot of you know bouncing and just reflecting in the right places. Diffusers. That's pretty much it right now. I would like I, I feel like it's like a lot of people think that just based off my work that I have a huge knowledge of everything photography when that is not the case at all. I'm very, very great with my natural light photography, but I really haven't messed with, you know, any any studio work. I haven't messed with really any of that stuff. So that's why all this lighting stuff at work has really been geeking me out because I'm hungry to learn and give it a shot and see if I can make something, you know, magical out of it. Once again, this episode is brought to you by, you know who, Tyler Stallman. <laughs> I've got some presets and I would love for you to buy them if they are useful to you. You can go to stallman.com slash presets to check out what they are. They cost $20 and I would love to let you know that the best way to think of them is a way to support the show. I mean, I think they're great. I use them on all my photos. They have been very useful to me over the years. But no pressure. I realize there's a million presets out there. 
they're not going to change your life. Honestly, you can just go watch a dozen Lightroom tutorials. You can watch the ones that I've created on YouTube for free already, and you're going to learn a lot about Lightroom, and you can move these sliders yourself. I've just created some certain ways of moving these Lightroom sliders that always set me at a good base whenever I start editing a photo. But of course, that's never good enough. That never completes your photo. Sometimes you just need a lot more punch or more saturation because that photo was a little hazier than you thought. Or uh, your blue sky is just way bluer in the photo than usual and the filter happens to push it way over the edge. So you got to turn it down. There's things you got to know about how to fix your photos after. So I also included a 30-minute in-depth tutorial about how I edit all my Lightroom photos in this pack. So to get all of that, go to stallman.com slash presets, 20 bucks. You don't want it, no worries. But uh, but if it would be helpful to you, then it would help me out. So thanks for checking it out and thanks for listening. Going back to, I guess, when you walk into a room, how do you think about the light? Like, why do you decide to modify it when you do? And then yeah. like, how do you try to change it? Yeah, so I guess for me, it's, I'm always trying to find the best lit area first. Um, obviously, like, you know, I feel like a lot of people concentrate on location a lot too much. Uh, I really look for the best lighting in the room. And then I, then it's like, how can I make this the best location in the room? Um, but for me, it's really, you know, it's just necessary to have a reflector um, to bounce light, to fill in uh, shadows, especially like under the eyes and that sort of thing. Um, but I guess it's really just more about lighting up the entire face and, you know, cause for, for my work, that's, you know, that's what I want people to notice is my model's faces. <laughs> that's yep. the first thing that I want them to see, right? I want like the pop in the eyes. I want the, you know, beautiful, uh, detailed skin, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I feel like without enough light, you don't get that detail in the skin, which isn't a terrible thing, but. For, for what I do in my work, it's something that I try to achieve. Yeah, and that's why I, would, I was using the word beauty to describe the work that you do. And it, yeah. was, it was making me think of a, a job we just had last week was doing a bunch of uh, like traditional beauty photos. Um, the behind the scenes is on, on Instagram stories. Yeah, you'll of, have, I'll uh, have to look into that. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, um, you know, studio lit. So like we have to create it from nothing. And we, a trick was that it was over three days and it had to okay. be completely consistent. And mm. man, when the, oh, all of a sudden you realize the the challenges of doing something consistently are so much it's different than just making it look good, right? <laughs> it's very difficult. And and that was even knowing that it was going to have to be consistent uh, walking into it. But there'd be little things like um, that I didn't mark the distance between um, the like. We had the light stands all in the same place. That was marked. Uh -huh. The lights didn't move. No problem, right? But we didn't mark, okay, where was the tripod in position A and where was the yeah. tripod in position B? Um, just simple little things like that. And you moved it once and you're like, yeah. oh, wait, what did Isn't I do Isn't that crazy yesterday? how that like can totally throw off the entire look? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, or, or for one photo, it's like, oh, can you just slide the stool? Can you sit a little forward? And then you realize like, wait. Now we've changed it. Now all the ratios are different. Like now the light's 30% brighter on your face and now I don't know why. And yeah, um, yeah, oh, the, yeah. The, the big lesson coming out of that was mark everything. Like more <laughs> than good you know. think you do. You have to mark every single little thing um, if you're aiming for consistency. And in this yeah. case, the, the, sub, the main subject was her eyes, uh, eyelashes. 
So a lot of like really close up macro stuff. And so I'd even notice like, ah, oh, the catch light is a different shape today. Mm, yeah. Um, Cause you know, we, we moved the key a little bit. So man, um, that's crazy. Yeah. And it also presents really interesting retouching problems as well. And that was another thing. So that, that opens up the next big thing that uh, I wanted to ask you about, cause you do it totally differently than me is you, you're, you're an iPad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I edit everything on an iPad Pro, and I feel like that shocks so many people. <laughs> it shocks me too. Well, <laughs> no, okay, so it doesn't totally shock me. I mean, I, I, I talk to other people. Like if pe- people have come on the show. Mike Hurley was here talking about his uh, iPad lifestyle, and we've had we've had a few people that are very into iPads come on the yes, show. Yes, Team iPad. But I've had a hard time integrating it into my photography life in a really um, productive way, like in, in any of the key components. So, uh, I've, I've been hoping to do a tutorial about it. Cause like, you know, I got a few things working great, like, uh, working in Lightroom and sorting through photos is a really nice experience. Like the, the screen is great. Oh, like flipping great. through them is really nice. Um, I, but like I had some challenges translating the raw workflow to my desktop cause it, it needs to get backed up afterwards. Um, and then I really, where I really got stuck is I tried to move into Affinity Photo, which is yeah. what I, I know you're using. Um, and first of all, did you learn Photoshop before Affinity, or did you start there? Um, I so I actually I used to use Photoshop long time ago. I never really got into Photoshop very heavy uh, when I started. Uh, got an iPad. Um, like, I guess the reasoning why I got an iPad was because all of my friends were like, hey, you should come to blah, blah, blah coffee shop and come edit with us. You know, well, I have a 27-inch iMac fully <laughs> loaded out, and it's beautiful, and I love it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't want to take that to a coffee shop downtown. And so I got an iPad Pro um, kind of as a joke, to be honest with you. Well, not necessarily a joke, but it, I went into it knowing that like, I don't expect too much from this. And if anything, I can always return it back within two weeks. And so I got that, downloaded Affinity Photo because I used to work at the Apple Store and they had Affinity Photo on the demo. So I knew this was like an app that was similar to Photoshop or you could do, you know, higher end um, editing in and that sort of thing. And so I downloaded it and just kind of gave it a shot and really just enjoyed the the workflow of it and everything like that. And it was definitely a little bit of a challenge. Um, but I mean, I had some prior Photoshop knowledge, but it's, it's kind of funny because I feel like I now know Photoshop way better just because of Affinity Photo. Um, at least before, uh, at least I know more than I did when I first got my iPad. Yeah. I mean, I can find this, there's a challenge to Photoshop users or, this can be generalized to any kind of software. It's that when you have a certain amount of habits built into the program you're using, it doesn't really matter if the new program is is better even. You know, like it can it can do things in a smarter way, but it can be very challenging to just relearn the the new metaphor. Yes. And <laughs> and as you get older, um, not not because my brain is atrophying yet, but <laughs> just because um I have to kind of spend more time 
delivering stuff to clients as opposed to like learning and experimenting, which I was able to do more of earlier, like when I learned how to use Photoshop. Um, so it's hard to just sit there and be like, okay, the next two or three hours, I'm just going to dedicate to to trying to learn stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it being kind of frustrating and I don't really know what I'm doing and I can't find that tool that I'm used to just reaching out for in Photoshop all the time. But um, I also, I have a feeling that there's going to be a generation of people really growing up on tools like Affinity, especially because of the price. I mean, yeah. that oh. software is cheap. It you are, is very cheap. If anyone out there is looking at Affinity stuff and being like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of pricey. Like, no, you don't understand what software is supposed it to is cost. Like, extremely cheap. I mean, yeah. what Photoshop back in the day was roughly around a thousand dollars. Yeah, you assume a thousand bucks to get to get what you need, and you're going to have to update it. And uh, now you're paying a subscription, so you're going to spend two thousand. Yeah, um, you know, still like, currently it's, doing that. <laughs> and and it's um, the thing is, it's it's worth it. Like, I'm not saying that Photoshop's not worth it. Like, I never bat an eye at paying my Creative Cloud. Oh, no, I, I have totally no problem it. with it. Yeah. Um, but it, it just drives me crazy when people – so, well, an example of this actually was um, – it's a little different because this was on um, iPhone. I was doing like, here's how I edit my iPhone photos. I made a video recently. And a lot of the responses were, uh, you know, why would you use these paid programs when Snapseed is free? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why would you use a paid program when there is a free program? Like, how much do you care about your photos? If you just don't really care, that's that's fine. Like, you – you for sure don't have to spend money, but if you're aiming to do something better, um, you know, you're going to go further by getting good software yeah. than by getting a new phone. And what's crazy is that there's like, you can almost do everything on an iPhone app now, um, which just blows my mind. No, I mean, I'm starting to get to the point as well where I get frustrated on Mac OS because of the amount of tools that are available on the phone and I'm missing out on them. Um, like, uh, I mean, there's a recent one that my wife is using that's like, yeah, speaking of beauty, it's, uh, uses AI to do like facial retouching. Oh yeah. And like oh. can apply, can apply makeup and stuff. And that's existed for a while, but all of a sudden I saw one that I'm like, wait, no, this is, this looks good. Like this looks kind of sometimes better than when I sit in Photoshop for an hour. And <laughs> yeah. that's really frustrating. Isn't it? <laughs> Cause I, I can't do artificial intelligence stuff. I can't do, Okay. I automatically detect where the eyes are and like, boom, do this one thing in two seconds because I'm not a computer. Um, but people are writing that for iOS. They're not writing for macOS. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's, hopefully that changes. As, it's crazy. As, you know. I've, I've witnessed programs like that before because um, like Affinity Photo does not have any of that stuff, which I hope that they bring soon as far as just like the facial recognition, as far as like liquefying and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But I do have uh, some people. There, there's a program I can't remember what it is. It is on Mac OS uh, that does stuff like that, and it just blows my mind. It, it definitely would save. Like I would say, if you're trying to pump out content for clients and that sort of thing, and you're looking to not do anything crazy with retouching, but still, you know, make it look nicer than the the raw file. It does incredible work. I mean, you can also, you know, change eye color, hair color, all sorts of different things. Ooh, and you can send me the link to whatever it is. Yes, I've bought I'll one figure before, it out. <laughs> I've bought one before that fell by the way. So I just kind of stopped using it. Um, so Luckily, my called. friend bought it for me, and I actually have only used it a couple times. So. No. 
But so what are some, do you have any, I guess, general advice for me and how to make this work for me, how to make for, iPads yeah. actually useful? Yeah. So, I mean, right now it's because, well, you know, we have the Photoshop, uh, Photoshop app on the way mm-hmm. for iPad, which I'm super excited for um, just because I want to see the, how well Lightroom and the Photoshop app work. Um, that might be the only way I will switch from Affinity is if it is a beautiful uh, transition between them. Um, but, I mean, with with the workflow, with the iPad, I guess the reasons I like it is because it's extremely on the go. It's super lightweight. Uh, I don't know if you've messed with the new iPad Pro, but they are so lightweight and easy to take with you. Like when I was going and traveling for some shoots, uh, I mean, all I had to bring was my my camera, my 35 and my 24 to 70 and my iPad Pro with the, well, back then was the lightning to SD card reader. And that was all I had to bring with me. That was my entire setup. Um, and super, I mean, it super sounds lightweight. great. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> well, so th- what do you do in the long run for managing media like that? That's yeah. a, a challenge I, I that honestly will probably be too big for me to make it a major component of how I um, do photos. Because if I have to, like, you know, offload everything on the iPad, do the work, and then move it again, yeah, no, probably not going to sure. happen. But it's a, yeah, no, I've so I found out uh, through tinkering and some beautiful Adobe updates <laughs> that uh, I import all my photos actually straight to my iPad. So say I get done with the photo shoot, pop out the SD card, throw it into the uh, iPad with the USB-C to SD card reader, and then I import them into photos, which is one, awesome to show clients that. I feel like clients get blown away by that a lot of the times just because it's so quick and they can see all the photos right there. And um, they just, they look so good on the screen. Yeah. And I just let them go through and I'm like, just favorite whichever ones you like and I'll go through those. Uh, but then what I do is I, so... I still do have uh, an Adobe subscription, and that is mainly because of Lightroom. Uh, so I actually import uh, all the photos into Lightroom after the fact, which will then sync up with my Creative Cloud. Which so I you do have to have like some sort of home base uh, computer to have it sync up with, because I then have it sync up with Lightroom on my computer, where I then tell that to duplicate and copy it to a external hard drive. And it saves them all in the RAWs and everything like that. So I just have to, you know, import them into Lightroom on my iPad and let the the rest of it do its thing. So it uh, saves up in the cloud, uh, exports to the external hard drive. And then if I'm looking to wipe out photos, I do have to copy them from the hard drive and put them onto a different one or on the same one if I had enough space. Just because if you delete them off of Lightroom, they then delete off the backup or the where they're saving it to the external as well. So, well, still I love figuring to hear out orga- I mean, organization. I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's actually working because yeah, because the idea just sounds so good, and I'm so in love with that hardware. Like the new iPads feel oh, amazing. Them. It's yeah, it's just so nice to have in your hands. So I was I want, so I ecstatic, <laughs> so ecstatic when that came out. But what would you say the biggest obstacles are before we can really, like, are you recommending this to everybody at this point? Are you like, ah, only if you're experimental? Yeah, I would say, honestly, only if you're experimental at this point. It is, I mean, there's definitely some struggles to it and everything like that. Um, Nothing, 
mm, I'm trying to think. I mean, for me, it's really the sometimes the iPad just isn't powerful enough for the program and the the especially since at work I'll be shooting I'm shooting with a Sony uh, A7R3. So those Ooh, huge it's literally as big as yeah. Yeah, as so the the huge uh, photos really struggle in there sometimes. Um, but I mean, I've used it so much that I've kind of gotten used to any of the like minor glitches and that sort of things. Um, but it's, I guess if you were trying to pump out a lot of photos, right. To a client, say you were trying, like if you're a wedding photographer and you're trying to get them hundreds of photos, iPad workflow is not going to work for you. (laughs) Um, now if you're more of somebody like, kind of like what I do where I'm going out on a creative shoot and, you know, maybe I'm choosing maybe like five to 10 images, if that out of a shoot Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm spending, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour on an image. Um, yeah, the iPad I think would be a great, uh, substitute for, for something. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's definitely more for the experimental type of people. Uh, just because I know it's it's not there yet, but I do think it's going to be there very soon, and so I'm very excited to see um, where it goes. I'm actually surprised to hear you say that it's you're, you're hitting hardware limits, like because I mean I just haven't pushed it that far yeah. that I've been able to make it spin on anything really. Um, oh, it's but, great on my 6D photos. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's who I feel like it's really probably getting ready for is people in the like more in the hobbyist community right like if you're you just want your vacation photos to be amazing and you really care about your travel stuff being good or your family photos being really great or you just do occasional creatives um i i really think you probably you can make it work i mean the the internal drives are getting big enough then you can sync it off uh, or into the cloud like there's so many different ways that you could make it work if you don't have really high volume. Yeah. Uh, even if you are shooting raw. Um, oh, no. It's uh, it's it's amazing on that side yeah. of the thing. Well, like, I have a one terabyte iPad Pro. So mm-hmm. I've been able to throw, like, I have all of the raw images on my iPad since I bought the iPad, which was the day of release, which I don't even remember when that was anymore. <laughs> uh, Recently. <laughs> but I have finally almost filled it all the way up. Um but as far as like the usual workflow through it, it's it's great. The iPad's extremely fast, especially with dealing with like importing the photos and that sort of thing. I wouldn't say it's as fast as importing on a computer, uh, but it got a lot better, especially with USB-C. Um, yeah. I am waiting for iOS 13 because I don't think it's the iPad issue. I think it is a software issue. Mm. I just don't think the software is up to... Uh, up to date with it. Um, well, WWDC. Keep, I'm keep so excited. Crossed. I am so, I, I am so excited for iOS 13. I really, really, really hope that they, um, what I would say, unlock the iPad. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, every year we get our hopes up and I think, I think at this point it's best to just don't get too excited because there will be some step forward, but it's, they just haven't really let loose ever you know like they just haven't got to the point where they're like okay we're just going to put the pedal down on the ipad now we're gonna make it everything it needs to be i want this it to year. be there. i yeah. want it to be that <laughs> I mean, it could be I, it feels like the hard the hardware is there if they if they prioritize it they totally could i know 
And I, I'm really crossing my fingers. <laughs> I really hope it does happen, you know? Speaking of photography a little bit more in, um, in details of like retouching, what are some things that you think about for um, that, that people could apply to their retouching to make it better? Um, like wh- where do you start when you look at a face that, you know, this person already looks great. You don't want them to look like someone else. You want them to look like the best version of themselves. Yeah. What's the first step that you start touching up? Um, so I guess like going into learning retouching and things like that, the first thing I would say is start off by watching makeup tutorials. <laughs> it sounds really, really odd, but it's makeup retouching tutorials or applying makeup, like makeup like beauty blogger. Uh... <laughs> I would say a little mixture of both. I feel like the knowledge of knowing where makeup is applied is great, or at least knowing how, um, I guess the face should look with, uh, with makeup. I just know that I have, I went through lots and lots and lots of, uh, makeup tutorials. Also asked lots and lots of friends who wear makeup all the time, <laughs> uh, just cause I feel like they know where there should be highlight and contour and that sort of thing on the face. Um, now when I start with my retouching, the first thing I typically do is I'm looking for blemishes, um, and that sort of thing that isn't natural to them, um, that I can get rid of. Yeah. And Uh, this is just something I I never get to ask other photographers. Do you have a rule of thumb of like this kind of blemish I will remove and this I won't like, is it that, you know, if it's permanent, so a mole, you'll always leave it. And if it's, uh, something that would fade in a day, you'll take it out. Yeah, typically. Um, And then, I mean, I also usually try to talk with the model about it as well. Um, Like I usually, I always, I will always ask, is there anything that you don't want me taking out? Right. Mm -hmm. Like um, even as little as like a freckle, I've had people (laughs) not get upset, but like called me out on that. They're like, you took out like my favorite freckle. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize, you know, that's what I did. So well, and there can be kind of crossover things too. Like there can be sort of invisible moles, for example, like something that's sort of a bump, but it's transparent. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and personally, I'll usually lean to, I'll lean towards taking it out um, because I'd rather people just not think about it when they're looking yep. at the photo, uh, especially if the purpose, it, it, also, this totally depends on the purpose of the photo, right? So, if the photo is for the subject, like if it's for them to put on their wall and they're going to be looking at it every day and it's basically like looking in a mirror, the more you've changed them, the more we like, why would, why would you have done that kind of, or wedding photos, for example, um, like it, it should look like the person It should be really clear that this is how they always look. And it's the best version of themselves. If the photo is for a makeup company or, uh, you know, fashion or whatever, um, than a more idealized version of the person. I like. I personally, I find very acceptable. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It, yeah. It totally depends on the photo that you're doing and that sort of thing. I usually lean on the side of just taking it out, especially if it's something that is distracting to the eye. Yeah. Um, Actually, I, I, this reminds me of something that I, you you don't have to get on board with this because it's like a relatively controversial idea that I have. Yeah. But, or no, go for it. it's not that much. <laughs> but um, there's a there's a, a really big movement of like you know we want photography to not be retouched like this is a uh, there is a very much a trend that like you know no more photoshopping we want to see natural models looking exactly the way they do in real life everybody has to be aware that what will happen with that is they're just not going to hire models with flaws 
Yeah. They're going to hire naturally fitter models that don't have, um, you know, a little bit of love handle that right now for another company, like they would hire that model and they would shrink it in a little bit. Um, But otherwise it's like, you know what, you got to lose that weight because we're not going to take the photos of you. We're not allowed to retouch it anymore. So we're either not going to hire this model that weighs five, 10 pounds more, or uh, we're going to make it lose the weight. Um, And, or same with like, you know, if we don't like the formation of freckles on your face, if we don't like these natural attributes, they're going to be more selective about who they pick. And they're going to be picking people that are naturally closer to perfection because what a billion dollar company is not going to do is say like, we don't care if our sales drop because, uh, you know, we're picking people with more flaws. Um, so it's, it's just this widely not considered side effect of if you stop retouching photos, the, the brands aren't going to decide to let people look more normal. That's not going to, that's not how this is going to (laughs) go. Yeah, no, I actually, I've never thought of it that way. (laughs) I had never really thought of it that way, but that's so, I feel like I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Um, that, yeah, no, I've never thought about that. That's crazy. Um, well, and there's another side to it. Like, I don't want it to make, to make it sound like really simple because yeah, there is for sure the side that like we get these really distorted perspectives of ourselves and like the world's moving towards this unrealistic vision. Like that is also true. I don't want to, I don't want to forget about that, but. Um, I just want to add that complexity yeah. into the conversation. No, yeah, I haven't. No, like, really, I haven't ever thought of it that way. Um, I mean, I, I obviously have been accused of that as well or had people, um, I guess, hate on my work for that. Um, for me, though, I, I really, I do see retouching, it, like, almost as a an art of its own um, outside of the photo because the people who do it really, really well spend a lot, a lot of time on it. Okay. And, um, but I, I, that one's a tough one just because I do see both sides to, to that topic. I see the, I mean, shoot, look at the, it's probably still the number one app or paid app out there. Um, or at least close to it, like Facetune, yeah. right. Is extremely popular. It's used by all the top Instagram slash whatever models slash social media influencers. And, uh, yeah, it totally gives off a fake, um, you know, look to, to everything. I think it's more though for people just need to kind of accept that that's just how things are. Um, and that, you know, we really can't change that. And that's just how, you know, companies are going to do it. That's how social media influencers are going to do it and that sort of thing. And I feel like we shouldn't be overly bothered by it. And I think we should just be teaching people to be confident you know, in themselves and as well as just know that not everything that you see is truly what it is. Well, you know? or, or even teach everybody that literally everything you see is not what you yes. think it is. <laughs> like it, it is all a hundred percent of the fake. time. It is not what you, it's all fake. Yeah, exactly. And even if it wasn't oh, okay. retouched, it, um, you know, it was lit to make the person look favorable. Um, Beautiful. you know, yeah. it was shot with angles that, you know, make them look taller. Like, there's just a million little details of like you just you do things to make people appear in the best light, and um, it's all a lie. So yeah, uh, yeah you know, be no, very careful if yeah. you're not seeing it in in person. Don't believe it, and even if you are exactly. seeing it in person, it was retouched <laughs> by a makeup artist. So yeah, I know exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's more for just people need to 
accept that not everything is pretty much everything is fake out there as far as like advertisement and anything like that. It's just, you know, at this point it's everything is everything's touched up. Everything's modified to make it look the best. I really like your advice of watching makeup tutorials though. That that's one of those things that uh, (laughs) went through my head when I started photography. I was like, I should do that. And then I never ever did. Cause it's just, well, it's, I mean, this is why it's a good idea. It's a good idea because it's boring to me because it's super uninteresting to me personally or not. That's not even though it's like, it's hard to make myself sit down and, and watch a makeup tutorial, but I know that you're right. And that on the other end of it, it's like, Oh, okay. I get this now. And it's something we talked about on like recently there was kind of a, a couple's episode. Cause um, like my work is all with my wife. And then we had another couple on that husband wife couple that shoots together. And there's this conversation about, you know, there's all this stuff that guys are just, and not not to generalize, but like in our situations, uh, the guys are just kind of blind to it because we don't worry about hair and makeup in the same way or we don't worry about things that females are sensitive to and possibly vice versa. Um, you know, and, and even to not generalize, like let's say like just within guys, some guys are more aware of certain things. And if you can be more aware than the person you're shooting, it's always going to be a good scenario. Yes. There's, I mean, shoot, even things that like went over my head with the, with the post that I recently posted, I've had a couple people call me out or not call me out, but, um, say something about the model's eyelashes, which I, you know, <laughs> you weren't I, yeah, no, I wasn't looking at eyelashes and I wasn't thinking about like, oh, the eyelashes look bad. But now, now I'm like, maybe I should be, <laughs> maybe I should be yeah. looking at the eyelashes every time I'm well, going out yeah, shooting. The, the beauty photos, I was just shooting all eyelashes and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I yeah. never thought so hard about eyelashes in my yes. life. Yes. I'm like, there's so many details yeah. that I definitely <laughs> look over. And I mean, the, the way that you learn is by talking to somebody who looks at it way too much and like, I, one thing I do want to do is I want to link up with um, makeup artists and just pick their brain with like, why, why this, why that, mm-hmm. why does it look good this way? Why does it look bad this way? Cause that way I can take that into my retouching and know like, this is how the light should look on their face or this is how this should pop. This is way too much or this is not enough and that sort of thing. For sure. Well, let's move to the next step of retouching as well. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is next. Let's move to dodging yeah. and burning because it's very important. Yeah. Um, dodging and burning, extremely important. Yeah. Uh, how do you approach it? How do you think about it? Um, so I actually do all of my retouching with dodging and burning, um, even the small blemishes and that sort of thing. Uh, well, the the small blemishes at the very beginning, I use the tool that just kind of automatically does it because I'm lazy. Um, but after I do that, like the weird shadows and maybe splotchy skin and that sort of thing, I fix actually all through dodge and burn. Um, so I have one layer where I am focusing on just kind of evening light out uh, along the model's face. So say if there's like, you know, shadows underneath the eyes, maybe some baggy eyes, that sort of thing. You can fix all that with dodge and burn by brightening up those areas. Um, and uh, it just depends on the photo and that sort of thing. Sometimes the the light's beautiful, no splotchy skin, you know, everything's great. takes no time to do. And then other times it's, it's not as nice. And I'm spending a lot of time. I'm going in, diving in to pixels that I probably shouldn't because I'm only posting to social media, but I do it anyways. Um, and I start off with that. And then I have a dodge and burn layer, as I call it 
to where I actually go in and apply a dodge and burn. And I use it to really, like, I feel like dodge and burn can really, it can really change your photo, at least for portrait work. Because I feel like that's how I pop my model out a little bit. Like, it's, it's I almost, like, give the model depth. And it, it, I feel like it's almost, like, up close and that sort of thing. And it's also where I do the general kind of makeup or highlight. I usually just try and pop what's already there. So, like, if there's already a nice highlight on her cheek, I'm just going to take that and bring it up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Same with, like, on her nose or anything like that. Yeah, if you're um, trying to invent the lighting, uh, you're it does not look much more good. likely to get it wrong. It will turn gray and look disgusting. <laughs> but I spend, well, I, I spend I, a lot of time on that. I also like to hear that you're retouching for um, more detail than social. Uh, this is a habit that I really wish more people would get into because – if you're aiming to do this for work in the long run, like you have to retouch everything at 100%. You can't be, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't be doing this just to, to be viewed at uh, you know, 1,200 by 1,200 pixels. Like this needs to hold up as it gets big. And a lot of people learn um, at a further level. And um, my, so, I mean, I was lucky a bit in the way I was learning because I started in stock photography, which um, at iStock Photo, everything was looked at at 100%, um, which eventually I did. I was like one of the editors. So I'd be downloading a thousand people's photos a day and looking at every photo like as close as possible. And it's like, oh, I can see the cloning here. Um, Isn't that you know, crazy? I can see like your heel brush screwed up right here and totally gives it away. Uh, but people were, you know, maybe they were doing the work at uh, 30% zoom um, on a smaller screen and just didn't see it. Yeah, no, there's definitely times where I become lazy and I'm like, you know what? I'm just posting this to Instagram. <laughs> I don't need to do all this, but I mean, I can't imagine going through a hundred percent. It's, it's definitely, that's why I say retouching is an well, art. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to stay like sometimes the hundred percent stuff just doesn't matter, but it's more that like, <clears throat> it it shouldn't give away it shouldn't give itself away at 100%. That's what matters. It's not that like every possible blemish is gone at 100%, but you shouldn't be able to spot any of the retouching at 100%. That's what uh, is important. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um and that's and you don't have to do it at 100%. Like it's just it's just proper technique. You can do that at 50%, 30%. Um what like one thing I want to see get bigger um or or kind of take over a bit is uh tools like within capture one which i don't use last episode we were talking about this bunch the lightroom versus capture one and i love the idea of capture one but have a hard time integrating it in my workflow but so for example (laughs) there is a skin tool uh in the like this is the worst part about lightroom to me is the hsl selection uh where it predefined here is what red is here is what orange is now you're stuck with those I hope you're happy, and I never am. Um, for example, the yellow slider within Lightroom completely grabs the, what you perceive as green. Like the only, like, to, if you want to edit green leaves in a tree, that is the yellow slider. It's yellow, almost That's how it is on always. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. not the green slider. And the thing is, mathematically, that's that's the case, right? That is that that is the fact of what those color values are. But Capture One does smart things like. It, it widens the green spectrum to include the yellows that you perceive as green. So as you're sliding around green, it's like, oh, yeah, that is what I think green is. Um, it's the human green as opposed to the computer 
yellow or you know, I, mean, I don't know if I'm explaining this well enough. No, no, but, no, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, and and so there is also a skin tool as well that is like HSL just for skin, and and one tool within that is uniformity. And there's three sliders where you can say hue uniformity. So that means, you know, all the magenta and green parts of the skin get squished closer together. And there is saturation uniformity. So if you have really rosy red cheeks, that saturation comes out of the cheeks and brings it up a little in the, in, you know, maybe the grayer cheekbones that can happen uh, or jawbone. And then the, what, what am I missing? Uh, lightness, luminance, um, which, you know, same thing, compresses, uh, compresses luminance. And like, um, not that you want to crank all those up, but it's nice to have something automated where it's like, let's just compress some of that without manually painting all of it. No, that's that's crazy. That would help out so much. No, I've I've tried Capture One, but kind of like what we were talking about earlier, it's like, do I want to spend hours yeah. trying to figure this program out? Yeah, and you can't use it on your iPad, so I don't exactly. think it's coming there anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I've I've been very interested. In, in that program um i just want one day one day i'll i'll dive in and figure it all out but i'm figuring it out on my own workflow right now cool well um so a, a couple more just details about um how you dodge and burn I, like it's super underrated this is why i want to like stick to it for a few more seconds um there's a few different ways of lightening and, and brightening um, and I'll talk about mine first and then you tell me how you do it is I prefer to do curves layers, um, where I've like a predefined and also I just have an action I run on every photo I open up in Photoshop that creates all the layers that I know I typically use. So for example, it creates a, a, a like brighter and darker layer and creates a black mask on each of them. So I know that my, my brighter layer is a curves layer where the mid-tones are brought way up and I just gradually paint in the mask because I want things to be brighter and have a darker layer where the curves are brought down. I I prefer the response of color there, like with the curves. I find that like as things get brighter or darker, the colors stay a little bit more natural. Uh, Whereas a a lot of people like to do a soft light. Actually, I don't want to assume. What do you do? Do you do soft light or? I do, I believe. Yes, yes. I do a 50% gray soft light layer. So one thing I'm curious, if that, um, uh, wait, before I just ask you, let's explain what that is. So you'll create a blank layer with 50% gray on it and set the blend mode to soft light. And then you'll start brushing in. Either l- white or black to yeah. give you the brightness or darkness at like a 1% flow. So like 100% opacity and like 1% flow. One step of that I don't understand is why everybody does the 50% gray. Why not just leave it empty? I have no idea. To be honest, I saw it on a YouTube video <laughs> for for Photoshop, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a try, see if I can do this on Affinity Photo, and uh, it worked, and I kept with it, and now it just kind of does what I need, I guess. I just It just does the same thing as far as I know, but most tutorials will say that, so I'm just curious if, if somebody knows why. Uh, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. All right, that's fine. But it's what I do. <laughs> so when are you going to start making YouTube videos? <laughs> I need to, man. I really do. I mean, like, you, you did make a few tutorials, to be fair. I have, and it's just, you know, like every once in a while, I just like get home and I'm like, you know what? We're going to make a YouTube video today. And because um, I, I actually, I used to, I used to make money off of YouTube um, a long time ago for playing video games of all things. Oh. So. 
I used to be a YouTuber. <laughs> so, um, so I had, you know, I have practice with it. It's, it's just, I feel like it's just a lot of time. It is it's um, a lot, a lot of time. It's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of time. Um, cause back when I was doing it was when I was in high school where I had all the time in the world. Right. Uh, whereas now, you know, I have a full-time job yep, yep. <laughs> and on my free days I take photos. And so I need to yeah, figure out yeah. a, a system to, to do videos on top of taking my photos and that sort of thing. But well, I'll, I'll just say, like, I was in a position where I, I kind of knew I should be doing regular YouTube videos and didn't. And spending the that period not creating them is, like, probably my biggest creative regret of just, uh, like, I really, if you, it, not everybody needs to. Like, a, a lot of people listening, it's like, you don't need a YouTube channel. Not everybody in the world does. Um, but if you're in a position where you're like, you know what, this would probably be the right thing for me, then you should yeah. probably do it. It definitely, it definitely is at that point now. <laughs> do you shoot video it's at all, that or? point? Um, no, I want to. Uh, I I haven't. The it's funny because I haven't shot video because I have a Canon 6D, and I've always wanted a camera that I felt like would give me mm. uh, the look that I wanted. Because I I am I'm very picky when it comes to the video side of things. For me, you know, it's. I want it to be something that I'm inspired to make because I think you can make great video with a Canon 60, but it's not everything that I want, which is an awful way to, to look at it, but I'm just picky and I want yep. it to be really, really nice. And I don't have set things to make it really, really nice. Yep. For when, sure. No, I mean, it's, in reality, it's harder to make good video than good photo. Yeah. I should just be, you know, I should just be putting out stuff, for content's sake, at least on the YouTube side of things, I don't think it really matters too, too much about the quality side of things anymore. <laughs> but um, but it's definitely nice to have, right? I feel like that is the thing that sets you apart from everybody else is well, having that just nice look and crispness and I want it all. <laughs> well, no rush, but I'll, I'll keep an eye out in case you do. Um, where can everybody find you on the internet until you've got a successful YouTube account? <laughs> right now, um, it is Pretty much Twitter and Instagram at Drew Photo, D-R-U-E Photo. And I just try to put out cool photos, try to show the behind the scenes uh, on the Instagram side of things. I try to dive into the story side of things where I definitely get messages where people are like, you should do vlogs. You should do YouTube. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's where you can find me right now. Uh, other than that, I'm going to try and put more work into my YouTube since you have inspired me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, Drew. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking for it. No, thank you so much. Sweet. Thanks, dude. Boom. I feel so official. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Where's my, where's my button?